0: Irreverent, entertained, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio.
1: You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on LA Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Answers for the Family. I'm your host today, Marvin Smith. Uh, as the promo was sharing, that Alan Cardoza, which is the other host, is not here today, and he's doing the good works as we talk about. He's out in the field chasing the bad guys. So, uh, in his absence, I'm here. The goal is that we co host the we co-host show together, um, but when we have passion for doing great works, trying to make this world a better place, We do what we have to do. Each week, this show will bring you guests that will inspire, educate, and in some cases, outright entertain you while bringing you answers and options. Joining us today is Dr. Jason Carthian, who is going to share about leadership from within and its impact on underserved communities. You're listening to Answers for the Family with Alan Cardoza, right here on LA Talk Radio. Here we go. Hold on. We're going to have a show for you today. Our guest today, Dr. Jason Carthian, is a former professional football player with the New England Patriots, and today he is a highly sought-after international speaker in areas of leadership and business with emphasis on identifying your purpose in life. He serves as the president and chief executive officer of a consulting firm, Redeem Management and Consulting, and he proudly serves as the Cleveland Chapter President of the National Football League Players Association of Former Players. Drawn upon nearly two decades of experience, Jason has served for over 18 years in the public and private sector of leadership and business management. As a visionary, scholar, and author, Dr. Carthian, is a distinguished fellow in the Beta Phi Academic Literary Society. He has researched and published in the areas of business, positive psychology, and leadership within organizational framework. My friend, our host, Dr. Jason Carthian, has appeared on networks such as ESPN, NBC, just to name a few. He regularly hosts a television show on WDLI in Cleveland, Joy for Our Town which highlights social issues that impact our world. Dr. Carthian, are you there?
2: I am here, Marvin, and I'm excited to be with you today.
1: Uh, I'm I'm glad to have you on the show. It's um, um, leadership, well, we're talking to the right guy. I mean, we're talking about an expertise, an expert in in leadership. Uh, Thank you. So, I have a question for you. As I was going doing my homework and uh, looking at my notes, I see something here, you know, the topic today is leadership within, from within and its impact on underserved communities. And I see a quote according to you, and you said, correct me if I'm wrong, underprivileged and disadvantaged students are the single greatest challenge in any educational system in their communities. And I see you back that up with some research. So I'm going to let you ramble and go on from here.
2: Well, I think one of the biggest things that we all should be aware of, we have young people that are coming to school that are experiencing problems before they even get there. But then they're expected to compete and engage with their peers or their counterparts on some of the same tasks that are put in front of them. And I think uh, if we're not mindful that when these young people show up, they have so many other things they have to filter through, Then sometimes we may miss opportunities to give them a better shot at uh, being successful not only in the classroom but then also in life Uh, just give you an example I I had opportunity to go and speak to some young people uh, that were actually incarcerated and one of the biggest things that they shared is that you know hey we struggle every day and sometimes we left our own devices and when they're when they're like that they have some challenges and so most of the time they'll opt to the uh, lowest common denominator, and that may be a challenge doing something they shouldn't be doing, and then it turns into uh, just a negative impact on their life, both short-term and long-term. You know, that's a great example. So I think if we're able to target uh, some of the young people that are underprivileged and disadvantaged, then we can actually provide greater opportunities for them on the front side. That's what I meant by that uh, quote there.
1: Well, and I guess you know what you're saying is is is, as I think about it, it sounds like being if we're being more mindful and proactive, instead of dealing with intervention, there's greater opportunity.
2: Absolutely, yes. Let's let's deal with it on the front side because by the time it gets to, and you know this, Marvin. By the time it gets to an intervention or. Some sort of um, program <laughs> that's after the fact. You <laughs> yes. know, the damage has been done. You know, whoever uh, received the damage, whoever uh, was hurt in the process, uh, that's going to be long-standing uh, impact in that way. So it's better to be proactive.
1: Yes. Proactive. What reminds me too of the uh, um, the psychologist, uh, the famous psychologist, behavioral psychologist B.F. Skinner. You know, he made the comment about the brain is like tabula rasa, it's, it's a blank sheet, and you know, we have the ability to frame it or to work it, to write on it as we please. And, I, and as you're sharing, if we've done the damage on the front end, there's a whole lot of erasing have to have to take place to, to clean up that sheet. And a lot of times, once the damage is done, it's it's a lot of work trying to reverse those ills.
2: Absolutely, you know, and your point is. Right on point because what happens, you know, uh, you have people, young people and adults as well, that have mental markers, you know, and this is based upon social learning theory. When individuals are exposed to certain things, then they emulate it, they model it, Mm -hmm. and then they pack it away. And it's one of those things that if they are learning some negative things, uh, then later on you're going to have to overwrite some of those negative tapes that are playing in their heads. And And it can be very challenging to do that because it requires quite a bit of uh, stimulation and interaction on a positive side to really get rid of some of those negative thoughts and or subsequent behaviors. So, I mean, your point is dead on.
1: Yes. Well, I I think, too, uh, Dr. Carthian, I'm going to kind of diverge from where we're at and back up. I mean, here it is. You're a guy that played in the National Football League that's a childhood dream. I, I mean, there's so many kids that wish they could play in the league. And you played some years. And you played for the New England Patriots. And, um, you know, and I'm reading all the issues about brain concussions and, you know, all these cognitive issues with the brain and the major lawsuit. And here it is. You go from playing on the football field as this and and, and not just – any mild manner individual, you were a linebacker. I mean, you were getting at it. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, let me I, let me speak into this here. You were getting at it. I mean, you were. You, you know, if you talk about banging heads, you you were one of those guys. And replay. Mm-hmm. But now I think you know. Here, how do you go from football, the National Football League, to being this Doctor Carthian, and which I didn't share in the bio. I mean, you got your doctorate at, uh, at Harvard. So, I mean...
2: Well, actually, I got my my, uh, Ph.D. at Regent University. Oh, Regent, okay. Yeah. Yep. No, you're fine.
1: Okay, okay. Oh, good, good. So how does that, you know, how was that transition? I mean, because I know the things that you are passionate about, you know, there's a background, a backdrop in your own life that has you down this pathway. And maybe we can take a few minutes to, if this is okay with you... To maybe talk about your background and what, you know, what led you up to this point and having the passion that you have.
2: Sure. No, I, I appreciate that. I, I'm just a, a long time <laughs> proponent of people sharing their stories. We all have a story. So,
3: yes. again, I
2: appreciate you uh, allowing me to do that. You know what, uh, Marvin, my reality is that I, I grew up in abject poverty. And there were days that I didn't know uh, where my next meal was coming from or where I was going to lay my head. Uh, There were also, you know, other challenges uh, related to that. I never had a relationship with my father. And for many years, I didn't know who my father was. So it was just a challenge. But instead of embracing that and allowing that to define me, you know, I would not allow my my then current life circumstances to dictate how I was going to end up. So... You know, I just got really focused. Um, I started relying upon school and going to school and engaging, you know, my studies. And then lo and behold, someone someone saw me and because of my size, they said, why don't you come out and play sports? And I did that. It was like a gateway to an opportunity <laughs> just go out there and have fun and also just let loose some energy and hit somebody as well. (laughs) As
1: a a former linebacker, you know, there's a lot in common here. So I'm like, let it all hang out.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I I think even at that very young age, I began to realize that, you know what, there's there's more to life uh, than what's around me. And whether it was crime, poverty, whatever, there were a lot of things standing in front of me but I knew that there was more to life than that. And so I just really stayed focused uh, and really did well, not only on the uh, football field. I became one of the most heavily recruited athletes in all the country, but I also uh, had a lot of success in the classroom. And that set me up uh, for success when I stepped on my college campus at Ohio University. And, you know, I became really the all-time leader in sacks, caused fumbles, all these accolades, the MVP well, one thing that I will always remember is that I actually finished college in three years with two degrees. and wow, the main yes. <laughs> uh, momentum uh, for that was this understanding that, you know, I didn't want to go back to being one of those underprivileged young people and disadvantaged youth that would struggle uh, throughout my life. I did not want to go back to poverty. so, you know, it didn't stop. You know, even when I transitioned uh, after an injury from the National Football League, I went back to school. I went to Harvard, but I also went to Regent after that because I knew that I needed to be equipped in order to be able to help people most effectively, whether it's through training, leadership, or the assessments that I do for companies, whatever it may be. I just knew that I wanted to be uh, as readily equipped as possible to help people. And that's what I did, you know. It wasn't an easy transition, Marvin. You know that, but yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, you know, I made the transition, and now just continue to thrive. And and I try to, you know, give that away as much as possible with young people that I encounter or that I speak to, uh, whether I'm going into prisons or high schools and speaking uh, to them.
1: Well, you know, thank you for sharing that. And and I know, you know, for our regular listeners. It's not all the time that we get the opportunity to hear from someone other than social media or the the main, you know, six o'clock news of an athlete, whether he's doing great or he's doing horrible. And, you know, so to be able to hear, I call it the backdrop of, of your life and what got you to where you're at, I appreciate that. And the other thing I look at is, as I hear you and as you share and as I know you, what you're saying is you're an exception to the rule, and, and this is my point, because there's a lot of guys who have played that game that you and I know at the at the highest level and have not, and we're talking about some major name individuals and some no-names, but just have not been able to transition. And maybe you could speak just a little bit about, about that.
2: Oh, Absolutely. Well, again, you know, Marvin, it goes back to what we were talking about at the earlier part of the show. People are exposed to certain things throughout their lives. And, you know, really, when you think about it, based upon their exposure, they're going to react in a certain way. So your example that you gave is right on point yet again, because if you have an athlete who has done extremely well, Uh, they benefit from the accolades and all the different things that they receive from being that exceptional athlete, when it's time to switch gears and transition, uh, say, from the National Football League, Major League Baseball, NBA, whatever it may be, there is a change in your thought process. Now, either you can take the leap (laughs) in a Mm -hmm. positive way or you're going to have some damage that's going to take place. And what I mean by that, when people transition, typically they have to take a lower paying job, or they have to try their hand at business, or they're just going to try and figure out next steps on the fly.
1: Right. That,
2: in, that by itself has some inherent dangers in it, because if you're not prepared to own your own business, to transition well if you don't have the education, then you are already uh, really behind in terms of percentages of doing well. So what I found is that, you know, when you have people, because I, I help people to transition in that way, when you have people that are trying to transition and you give them a strategy or a blueprint to be able to do that, for example, just understanding what their purpose is, mm-hmm. then they can work towards that and make small gains and have self-mastery moment, moments during the process. And so when they're able to have those self-mastery moments, they understand, okay, I'm pretty good at this, I can make this transition, I can do well, but what happens uh, when you have people that are not exposed to any type of strategy, or if they've been given quite a bit of things, you know, from being that elite player to transitioning to just a regular person on the street, it can be very difficult for them. Right. So, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's really amazing to watch uh, sometimes as well. Hopefully that targets the question that you were asking. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, it does that's good. I mean, we could talk more and more and on this subject matter, but I can say our topic today is leadership from within and the impact on underserved communities. But I, I what you have shared is a great backdrop because people really, you know, I call it the average individual, the fan, um, the that watch the game, a lot of times they're not on the other side of the fence. And the things that you and I are sharing are things that they really don't get the opportunity to hear. And they'll read some of these stories and go, I can't believe it. How could a person fail that way? I mean, so there, and there's, like you said, there's a lot of inherent issues that deal with that. Um, so, but hey, but you're one of the ones who have transitioned and have transitioned well. Um, so,
2: yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it.
3: That, that
1: is great. So, on that note, I'm looking at my notes here and it says, you know, based in social uh, psychological research, the goal of introducing leadership training to these youth, uh, underserved youth, is to combat negative stereotypes, introduce youth, youth to positive role models, and help them increase their self-confidence, which you believe is the groundwork for creating healthy and productive contributing members of society.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's just dead on. It's something that, you know, uh, years ago when I created my foundation, the Leaders of Tomorrow Initiative, I wanted our young people to be exposed to things that they could emulate. Yes. And when I say emulate, I mean in a positive way, because based upon social scientific research, you have individuals that are dealing with things on a daily basis, and again, they're going to grasp hold of what they see.
1: Right, right.
2: But when you have someone that is exposed to positive things, like our Ties That Bind Leadership and Mentoring Program, we have them go through five components, Uh, and this is based off of Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner's framework for the Leadership Challenge, modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, challenging the process, enabling others to act, and then encouraging the heart. Now, the reality is, based upon someone modeling these things say for example just take the first component modeling Mm -hmm. behavior okay if you have someone who's going to model the way they're going to look at this individual say yourself Marvin I'll just use you okay if you're you're there and you're interacting with a young person uh, you're sharing with them and you're giving them some what I like to call nuggets
1: okay okay,
2: they're going to grow from those they're going to watch you they're going to respect you and they'll figure out okay He's made it. Uh, He's doing quite well for himself. He offers me an alternative to this underprivileged and disadvantaged lifestyle or a lifestyle of whatever negative uh, influences are out there. So I'm going to model what Marvin does, okay? That is what we try to instill in our young people that are involved with the Leaders of Tomorrow initiative. And then also... Uh, with the mentoring piece, when we have mentors that can model the way and inspire a shared vision, they get behind that. These young people get behind it and and they just go okay this is this is what i 've been looking for i didn 't know what I was missing, but I see it now
1: and right that's right That's good well, I think i, I one thing I, as you 're sharing um as you talk about uh, model the behavior you know in a term in the terms of In the world of behavioral science, we talk about behavior modeling. Um, I I use this term that my wife and I always talk about how things are caught. It's not what's taught. Otherwise, it's a lot of times, you know, kids or or youth, they're watching your behavior. They're watching you. And sometimes, a lot of times when your action is not lining up with the behavior, it's the behavior that gets caught. Absolutely. Not what, what what you're sharing. Which we see a lot of, so they have to the two have to mirror one another, and in essence, what you're sharing, and that's part of that mentoring piece. Now, I have a question for you, and we can uh, and 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 uh, how can we ready are you to become leaders at a young age?
2: Wow. Well, or, first of- off, or is
1: that is that possible?
2: I think it is. Um, let's go back to what you shared earlier you know I am a I am a strong advocate uh, for young people and what I mean by that I think that sometimes we want to approach dealing with young people in a cookie cutter sort of way and each <laughs> young person has their own personality I just wrote about this on my blog I think a couple of weeks ago but the reality is that each young person has their own personality And you have to engage them where they are. Yes. So when you talk about trying to ready them, you need to figure out, okay, first of all, who am I dealing with? Let me assess who I'm dealing with. What is their personality style? Uh, What do they like? What do they dislike? Are they introverted? Are they extroverted? Um, Do they, and let me break that down, do they like being by themselves and reading or do they like to be amongst people and engaging you need to know all those things before you can begin to readily prepare them, because everyone doesn't learn the same way, everyone does not interact the same way. So one of the things that we try to do, we try and assess our young people on the front side, uh, and we literally give them an assessment, yes. and it allows us to understand exactly you know, how they think through some things, their preferences right. that way. And then from there, Marvin, we we interact with them uh, based upon what they want to see happen in their lives, uh, through goals, uh, objectives, and each one of those steps, uh, they are required to have a leadership component. You know, we need to figure out, okay, uh, throughout each one of these steps of understanding yourself a little bit better and understanding how you engage with other people, we want to give you a nugget uh, related to leadership. Are you going to be a transformational young person? Are you going to try and bring people up to a higher ideal? Are you going to be a servant leader? Are you going to talk to people in a way that brings out their best? And sometimes you have to take the back seat to that. You know, So you have to be intentional about assessing them on the front side, creating a strategy or a roadmap for how they're going to do that, and then two other small things, but they're really huge in their impact, mm-hmm. you have to be consistent. Yes. You have to be consistent with young people. And the other piece to that is being intentional. So when you're consistent, it's what you share. If I model a certain behavior that that I want them to model, then I have to make sure I'm being consistent with that same thing, okay? Uh, And then the intentionality piece is that when you have young people, they want to know where their boundaries are. And if you are not giving them boundaries and you're not being intentional in your efforts to grow them, not only in their leadership capacity, but also in their compassion, their empathy in life, uh, then they're going to push the limits to see how far they can go. So you have to be consistent and you have to be intentional with them does that make sense yeah
1: yeah, it makes a lot i mean you know the term you're preaching to the choir um (laughs) i i i I get excited as i'm listening to you and i'm I'm biting my lip because there's things i want to say and because you're you're hitting the nail right on the head and you know as you were saying earlier um you know consistency is so important with young people you know and it's like and and then the other part of it is being a person of your word, which is part of the consistency, you can't tell a young person you're going to do something and not do it. Right. Because you break that trust, that bond, the consistency, and all of a sudden you say, oh, we're going to do this. They have no trust in you because you haven't been a person that kept your word. Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think, <laughs> And I think the other thing you were sharing, um, it, myself being involved in public education on the reform side, I's a whole fact about you know all the research shows that one shoe doesn't fit all, and that's exactly what you're saying is by assessing the young person and really trying to see where they're at, who they are, what makes them tick, what do they like, the things that you know being able to wrap you know what we understand and know around that, and show them I always say intentionally put things in their pathway for them to grow because we understand what they like from that standpoint. And otherwise, in the world of education, we call it creating these individual learning plans that's specific to that young person. And I I think one of my biggest ills of just traditional public education is that we're still on a model that's antiquated and and it's still based on one shoe does fit all, and it doesn't. And a lot of kids are failing. And unfortunately, and I'm going to get your opinion on this, One thing that we see is, especially in the urban inner city environments, big school districts, we're just, kids are just falling out by the groves and it's horrible, but we don't, we don't hear a lot about it. And and I know the work that you do because of your engagement, you know, civil engagement and the things that you do around social justice and youth advocacy, you're right in the middle of this, of this stuff, as I would put it. And it's exactly that. Any, any thoughts?
2: Sure. Yeah, I I think, you know, you just hit it on the head. I I think typically we don't hear about it until it reaches the news. (laughs) And by then (laughs) it's it's a little too late. If if we're talking about uh, even where Cleveland is right now, just really in the midst of bringing up uh, test scores and performance and all these different things, for a long time no one said anything, and it just got progressively worse. And I think that's where my advocacy for young people comes in. I mean, we have to be intentional with them on the front side. Right. And, you know, I I have my little plot of land that I deal with in terms of trying to advocate <laughs> for young people, but we all need to do it because it's such a uh, it's an epidemic. I mean, you yes. really said it. Uh, where we are right now, uh, so many young people are failing and so many young people are just dropping out. And I think with people... Sometimes we'll forget, Marvin, is that these people don't disappear. They may not show up at the school building that day, but they're still in society. They're
1: They're somewhere, right?
2: (laughs) They're somewhere, and and unfortunately, they're ill-equipped to be able to engage with others. They're ill-equipped to be able to go into the workforce. And these are all things that lead to uh, heightened uh, instances of crime. Uh, people are acting out because they still have to live, they still have to engage, and this is not, this is not exclusive to minority populations. Right, right. Everyone. You know, young people across the board are just struggling and dropping out of school, and then you have these situations where society has to figure out what to do with them. Now, let me give an example. I was just at the uh, Gus Harrison Penitentiary, and I was speaking to 2,600 uh, inmates. And as I'm speaking to these young men, and some of them were young and some were older, you know, I spoke to a young man who was actually was sentenced to life. Wow. And his statement to me was, well, you know, why do I need to do anything differently? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in here. I can do whatever <laughs> at this <laughs> point because I'm not getting out. But I said, you know what, at the end of the day, when you roll out of bed or roll out of your bunk, okay, you can still do something different with the rest of your life. You don't have to just settle for what's been dealt to you at this point based upon a a bad choice that you made. It's the same thing for these young people that are failing out of school that is not it for them. They can go back. They can get their GED. They can do something different. They can still be an effective, healthy, contributing member of society. But we need to advocate for them because if this is what they've always been used to, they're not going to all of a sudden, Marvin, figure out how to do things differently. differently. It's just exactly. not, it doesn't work that way. Exactly. It's just like a guy who's doing life. I mean, yes. like, I don't know next steps. Well, let's talk about it a little bit. So it's the same thing for our young people. It's the same thing uh, that I really want to stand up and shout on the table about sometimes being civically engaged and just a strong advocate for young people, that we have to show them a different way, not just deal with them and remove them because they're not going anywhere. You see them on the corners, you see them in Walmart, you see them in stores, they're all around, but, you know, they're ill-equipped socially, and they can't even engage with you because, for whatever reason, they were short-circuited in school, and now they've transitioned out into the real world, and actually, they have a chance to become even worse if we're not careful.
1: Good, good point, good point. Hey, I I have a question, and I'm going to have you ponder on it, and then we're going to take a station break, and we're going to come back for another... 20 minutes, uh, 25 minutes, and I have a bunch of questions I want to, I you know, run by you, kind of go rapid fire so our listeners can get as much of this uh, information as possible. And As I said, this was going to be a show of passion, but with answers and options.
3: Founded over 25 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, WestShield specializes in resolving adolescent issues that negatively impact the family. From preteen to young adult, we are experienced and qualified to help. We offer solutions which include referrals to a network of top professionals internationally that we work very closely with in the fields of educational consulting, psychology and psychiatry. Our in-home crisis intervention care program helps to stabilize families and bring effective resolution. We are supported by our licensed investigation company that enables us to offer legal and expert services for locating runaway teens and more. Our therapeutic transportation services help to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely provided transportation to specialized schools and programs with unmatched experience and success. Simply put, WestShield Adolescent Services is the best solution when your family is facing personal crisis. Call one 800 899 8585, and let us help you.
1: Well, we're back. And we're here with uh, Dr. Jason Carthian out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, Highly sought after international speaker, entrepreneur, a man of passion with a lot of care. I appreciate all the work that he does. I've had a chance to spend a little time with him, and uh, he's a man after my own heart. And it's just great to be able to have you on the show, Jason. I know your schedule is just like most professionals who are out changing the world one life at a time. You know, we become consumed and busy with doing the good work. So I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, you know, to tune in and our listeners will be able to get some insight and in questions and answers. I have a question here and it's gonna tie in to a listener question as well. So but read this and Get your thoughts and we'll come back. But why does it appear that culturally the underserved are limited to some vocations that are historically low paying and provide less upward mobility? And then our listener, our listener question says this. A recent study by a nonprofit coalition, Alliance for a Just Society, states that while Washington and Wall Street are taunting economic recovery, The job figures simply aren't matching up with the claims. Under this study, nearly 40% of all jobs are actually classified as low-wage jobs. The The realities are that making a decent living wage, especially for an underprivileged and less educated, is getting tougher and tougher. Flipping burgers at Burger King and the like is now the only option for many of our youth. How does your program help break the cycle? So it's kind of twofold, so I wanted to, you know, the question is, uh, originally, why does it appear that the culturally underserved are limited with certain vocations?
2: Sure. That's a that's a handful. I mean, (laughs) most I feared. There, yes,
1: (laughs) yes, yes, yes.
2: Here's the thing. Let's let's tackle that. A couple of things that you know I've seen over the years. uh, You will see pockets. You'll see pockets of uh, people and cultural, uh, I guess, uh, classifications. Just different ethnicities in certain places that uh, gather uh, based upon one uh, the cost of housing, Uh the ease of that the ability uh, to uh, navigate the system uh, in that way. And then also uh, generational bondage, and that's what I'll call it, and generational poverty. You have people that uh, localize in one area because that's all they've ever known. I've literally had uh, families say, well, my mom never moved anywhere, and why am I going to move if there's an expectation that... You know, I can receive a check every month. Why would I do something different? Uh, and that's what they've come to know. And, Marvin, that goes back to what we talked about uh the earlier part of the show. You have these faulty mental models yes. that, that people embrace, and they think that's all there is. Now, if because,
1: we, Not to cut you off, because that's all they know.
2: That, that's right. That's right. And it's not. It, it's not saying that they're bad. <laughs> I mean, this is. This is again not just relegated to minorities. If right. you come right out to some of the more affluent areas, even in Aurora, Twinsburg, there are there are trailer homes where people struggle to make it, and then they go and catch public transportation to work a minimum wage job and come back. That is right out in the suburbs. Okay, mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing happens, but I think, and I'm going to answer your question based upon the way you framed it, that's the first part with uh, someone who's relegated to a lower-income uh, job and a position in that way on the front side, but to your, your later point about why Washington believes that, okay, well, we're touting economic recovery because it's taking place. No, it may be taking place in the upper middle class and the wealthy, But at the end of the day, you still have uh, the lower middle class and those people that are in poverty, that are right below the poverty threshold, that are struggling because minimum wage is not keeping pace with the cost of living. That is nothing new. That's been taking place for a long time. And Marvin, as long as uh, the haves, I guess you would say those that are benefiting from certain programs and those that are benefiting on Wall Street continue to amass their wealth, it's going to always be a gap in terms of what people have and also the opportunities. Now, your, your point related to how do we help? Well, with the Leaders of Tomorrow initiative, our ties that bind leadership and mentoring program really mirrors what we just talked about earlier. We help them by modeling the way, inspiring a shared vision, challenging the process, enabling others to act, and then encouraging the heart. But we also help them by getting them plugged into entrepreneurial endeavors. If they want to do something that's not just relegated to uh, going into the workforce, they can create their own pathway and their own tracks to run on to do well so we're very intentional with that. Uh, we figure out exactly what they want to do, like I said, on the front side through assessment, understanding what their strengths are by finder assessment as well. Right. And we also have a DISC assessment for okay. youth that allows them to understand things as well about what their strengths are and what they can do and personality styles also. Hopefully that hit on the, uh, the reader's uh, question there and also the, the earlier part of the question too.
1: Yeah, I believe it does. I, that's, that's good. We appreciate that. And, and and if, you know, individuals want information, they can also go to the website, uh, which we'll share at the end of the show, um, to follow up as well for, for more information. Um, Jason, yes. are there educational things that parents should be doing to help their children adjust in society?
2: Absolutely. Now, see, that's a hot button for me because oh. I'm pretty traditional. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> traditional in that way. Uh Marvin, you know, when I grew up, you know, it was very clear. First of all, we didn't have iPads. We didn't have all these other fancy things that a lot of our young people have. Do I love technology? Absolutely. It helps me to be productive. But What I used to do and what many of my contemporaries used to do, when we got home, we had a table, we had a workspace, we got a little bit of a snack, and we sat down and did our homework.
1: Got at (laughs) it, right?
2: (laughs) And the parent was right there, you know, after we were done, and they would check our work. Uh, They would give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. (laughs) You're not doing what you need to do. You need to improve this. They didn't do our work for us because that's not their role. That's not their responsibility but they would supervise that we did what we were supposed to once we got home. And then once all the chores were done, then we would engage and do some other things, whether it's playing outside, whatever it may be. Right. Those sort of study habits and disciplines are what I want to focus on because what happens, parents almost abdicate uh, their, their parent, parental and leadership role just to the school's.
3: And in reality,
2: that is not the way to go. I'm not saying the parents do the trigonometry and the geometry and the physics, but they should be able to make sure there's a learning environment that's conducive uh, for the young person, uh, set aside study time for them as well, and just make sure That they are doing what they need to do and have an active communication with the school system, specifically the child's teacher.
1: Right. Hmm,
2: Excuse me. When they are more uh, connected with the teacher, there's a lot of things that can be headed off at the pass as opposed to waiting until they get that negative interim report because. When a, when a parent is engaged with a teacher, the teacher will remember that parent. They're more likely to reach out to that parent and say, hey, little Johnny or little Susie was not doing this, and here's why I think that's taking place. Right. And earlier in the show, Marvin, you shared about the whole poverty, underprivileged, disadvantaged. Our reality is that if these young people are not getting meals before they go to school or if there's nothing to eat when they get home, Quite yes. frankly, any person is going to be focused on just the basic necessities of life. They're not going to be thinking about problem solving, and research supports that. You know, brain functioning is not going to be where it needs it needs to
1: be. to be. Right, they have
2: not been nourished.
1: Well, and know? that goes so, and that goes back to Maslow. You know, um, theory. You know, hierarchy hierarchical needs. You know, it's, it's If we can't take care of the basics, how do we get to more? You know, higher executive functioning skills if the basics are not taken care of. It doesn't. It just doesn't work. It's out of order. Um, and you're right. So if we're not getting a meal, and and the other thing, all the research shows too on, in in the world of education that if a parent, they don't have to do the trigonometry, as you said, they don't have to do the math. If they, if there's any engagement by the parent, that I care, it's, it's this whole move. I care, and they and they make these, they reach out to the school. They may not know, and they do these certain, this certain behavior. They say a student's achievement level spikes from that support, and it's proven through all the research. And one of the things that we always look at, and you know, when I'm looking at schools, is how much parent um, um, commitment is involved with the school, especially when you start looking in the underserved communities. We got to, you know, get the parents involved. It's gonna, it helps the equation. Now, the other piece of that, I look at this. Unfortunately. I hear how you were raised the same way I was raised, and but unfortunately when I start to look at the nuclear family, the breakdown in the family unit, everything that is going on it's not the same and there had there is a lot more pressure for schools to help these kids across the board, not a particular race or from that matter, but just across the board to achieve
2: absolutely you know I mean you. Yeah, and and you're hitting it on the head, and I, and I know we're going to wrap it up here yes. soon. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we all have a charge. When we talk about leadership from within, we yes. all have a charge. That Thank leadership you. from within is not just the young person's leadership from within. It's the family. It's the parents. And it's also those that are doing the educating and those that are civically engaged as well if we are self-leading in a positive way, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure no one is left behind uh, in terms of our young people. But it's going to cost us something. Uh, And for some people, it's going to really require courage. I've seen a lot of people that they get into (laughs) these positions of leadership. Uh, I just spoke at the the National Academy. Um, It's a huge organization, but all the all the uh, administrators, superintendents, uh, principals uh, here in okay. County, and just shared with them that it's going to cost you something, but you cannot really just sit on the sidelines and say, uh, let somebody else do it." you know that's it's not, not
1: getting done. Work. It's not getting done.
2: No, with, no, that, it's with not. that attitude. And that's where the leadership from within has to take place. Yes, now, we're not saying that the young people are not responsible either, but it's across the board.
1: Well, I like what you're saying, though, Jason, because you know, if, if I can, this this is something real passionate for me as well. It, it being able to emulate and take what, what you're actually saying and making it, in making it simple, it's a team. We got to be willing to step up and do our part. Take our position and do it well because to win, it takes all of us collectively working together, working together. And that leadership within, I love what you're saying because, you know what, I deal with a lot of administrators. I deal with folks. They're not willing to take – they're not willing to step out. They don't want to – they're in fear of –
2: In some cases, reprisal, (laughs) losing their job. Yes.
1: (laughs) Okay, simply put. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I I can say I commend you, and I just want, you know, for you to continue the great works. Um, We have about uh, five more minutes. And finally, what amount of success is a parent's responsibility versus the child when it comes to reaching goals in life?
2: Wow. Well, you know what, and... Since we have such a short time here, I think at the end of the day, it's a both-and proposition. Uh, And what I mean by that, the parent has to be actively engaged, like we talked about. But the young person, once they have reached an age of accountability in their thought processes, okay, and you talk about just their developmental state, they need to be able to own whether or not they're successful. Okay, and that requires discipline, uh, self-confidence, some hope some optimism, and then a lot right. of resilience, okay? Okay. But it's really up to that young person to embrace that. But the parent is there to guide, lead, uh, rebuke sometimes mm-hmm. uh, okay. at the same juncture. So I, it's a both-and proposition in that way. But that young person has to own it. They have to own it.
1: Well, you know, what's interesting that you, that you say that, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, and, you know, in the 80s, what happened, there were some, we had some cultural issues in the 80s when it came to the urban, the uh, inner city, um, and then just, just nationally. All of, it, it came a point where babies start having babies. And that, that true parenting, it's like we lost that with, with that whole process. Because I start seeing, and, and I'm, you know, in the education world, I see parents who are basically like their best friends with their child right instead of being a
2: parent yeah and that's you know that's the difficulty marvin I, I think that you know there should always be an invisible barrier and what i mean by that it's it's not that you're harsh towards your young people or your child but they understand that hey they're an adult i've never been their age but they've been right my age before so there's a certain level of respect that i always accord to them and i also do not overstep my boundaries but I think the media, I think uh, mainstream media, I think television has done a lot uh, to impact that where everyone's supposed to be buddies and, you know, the parent and the mom and, you know, everyone's supposed to just say, oh, well, we're friends, but no, you know, without that invisible barrier. In place, young people, as I alluded to earlier, will test their limits. Yes, they and see will. How far they, yes, can go. they will. And if they lack respect for you, then immediately you're going to begin to see some acting out behavior. And if you don't have a plan in place to deal with that, it's going to be problematic for you fairly quickly, too, as a parent.
1: Right. And I know as a parent, you know, and as a grandparent now, I, I basically I, I tell my kids or even in school, I said, look, you may hate me today, but you'll love me tomorrow. There are boundaries, and this is how we do it. Absolutely. It's non-negotiable. So I have, one more, I have one more listener question. It's not really a question, but, um, and we'll be able to close on this note. I greatly admire your work and have young people in our youth center that have the talents and personalities to benefit from your program. I have taken a tour around your online site, and we'll be referring some of our managers at our center to download your newsletter and other materials. Thank you so much for all that you do. JB Los Angeles. So it's not really a question just I giving you some props.
2: Yeah, no, and that's appreciated. If they're still listening, I just say thank you for what you do and, and reach out to me. You know, I'd love to stay connected and you know, that's just that's my heart. You know, that is my heart. So thank you for that,
1: JB. Yes. Well well once again we've just had on our show Dr. Jason Carthian. Uh, well thought-out individual, former NFL player with the New England New England Patriots, who I don't like. I hate to say that, Jason. <laughs> well, you know how we we have these affinities of teams we like and we don't like. I've never. I just I, since I'm a Raider guy, I, you know. I, anyway, That's okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway. But if you want to reach Jason, uh, you could be he could be reached. The website is www. <laughs> That's at?
2: okay. <laughs> Look out w dot com or then also our foundation is the Leaders of Tomorrow Initiative and that's W W lot L O T Initiative dot org.
1: Yes. Okay? Got it. So you got me so fired up, I'm sitting there going, well, what would Jesus do? WWJ, I'm like. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's okay, brother, because we're on the same page with that, too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> hey, and,
1: and, and in closing, I, I know you have done a lot of work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I just want to give you kudos once again for all the work that you do, the prisons, the, the, min, the, the, the ministry, and, you know, being a father and a loving husband. Doctor, keep up the great works. Thank you. Oh,
2: thank you. All right. You, too. Take care now.
1: Bye-bye.
0: My name is Darnell Young, and I'm desperately reaching out for help. In 1970, after a blood transfusion, my mom contracted hepatitis C, which later evolved into terminal liver cancer. A transplant is her only chance of survival, and we don't have the means to fund the surgery. My stepdad's working as much as he can, and I just got off chemotherapy myself, so I've been limited in what I can do. Any amount you could give would help our family more than you can possibly know. You can go to our fundraising website at youcaring.com, that's Y-O-U-C-A-R-I-N-G.com, and search One Families Battle, O n e. S-A-M-I-L-Y apostrophe S-B-A-T-T-L-E, and you can donate directly there. Don't forget to capitalize the first letter of all those words. Thank you.